welcome to another episode of Some Random Thoughts. I am your host, Ryan Mulkowski. On this episode, I have with me my special guest, Aaron Green. Aaron is the new campus and alumni organizer for REAP. They are an affirming biblical scholar and LGBTQ plus activist. Aaron has a Bachelor of Arts in Biblical Studies from Azusa Pacific University and an MDiv from San Francisco Theological Seminary. Their specialties are in the entire Christian biblical corpus with an emphasis on the Hebrew Bible, the ancient Near East, exegesis, and how to employ various hermeneutical methods. Aaron's passion is helping those excluded by the church to heal from spiritual abuse and trauma by navigating the biblical text in restorative ways. Aaron is best known for their work in supporting LGBTQ students on conservative Christian university campuses and in religious spaces. Together, we discussed queer identity and Christianity and Aaron's journey into affirming their fullest self and finding meaning and purpose in the Christian tradition, along with the work they do to advocate for LGBTQ plus rights in the church and on college campuses, especially faith-based campuses with a history of LGBTQ plus discrimination. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Aaron, welcome to Some Random Thoughts. Hi, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you for having me. I am very excited to have you on. Um, Aaron Green is here with me on the program. And uh, many of you probably know Aaron. Uh, you can find Aaron on Twitter. Uh, where else are you? Uh, I follow you mostly on Twitter. You're on Instagram too. Um, I'm on Instagram. I rarely make it on Facebook. <laughs> so yeah, me too. Probably don't even try. Um, okay. But Instagram and Twitter for sure. I'm very active on both those platforms. Great. And so uh, we'll have all of uh, her details in the notes in the podcast. So please look up Aaron. Uh, Aaron does fantastic work, uh, a lot of advocacy work, um, some scholarship and, and, and all of that. And we're going to jump right into, into that today. So today's topic is, uh, I've titled it kind of loosely like queerness and Christianity. And uh, the reason why I, I, I want to talk about this is even though I'm an atheist, um, I find it very fascinating to find forms of spirituality that are very inclusive, very open, very affirming, very welcoming um, of all people uh, for who they are intrinsically as a human. And I want to uplift more of those voices because we have too many voices still that are just very um, exclusionary and very uh, condemnatory and just very... um, and we still have a lot of um, problems societally, not just in religion, but societally as a whole on, um, you know, increased discrimination and even violence, especially towards uh, trans people, uh, queer people, non-binary people. And so it's important that we talk about these things. Um, and so Aaron, I'm just glad that Aaron's here because Aaron's going to share a lot about her story and her background and her education and the work that she does um, and really provide a a lot of good resources, uh, hopefully for all of us to learn more, especially for those of us who are ignorant and we need to learn more about um, how we can maybe reconcile uh, queer identity uh, with the Christian faith. Because as someone who uh, born, raised and continues to live in the South, we still have a lot of discrimination. We still have a lot of problems 
um, especially with progressive churches in the um, South who are really trying to have open and affirming and welcoming spaces and a lot of hate that comes from conservative evangelicalism or fundamentalist uh, factions of Christianity. So that's just to give you the overview. I'm going to let Aaron talk most of the time, so I'll shut up. But Aaron, first of all, tell the audience more about yourself and specifically, how did you become a Christian? Why are you a Christian? And how your um, identity as a queer person, but then also as a Christian has led you to do all of the advocacy work um, that you're doing today? Yeah, thanks, Ryan. That's a really great question. It's a lot to unpack, I think, but it is. Yeah, I'm sorry um, to throw it all no, at you at once, no, but good. <laughs> you'll hand, you, I feel like you can handle it. So I, I feel like I can. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've definitely had to answer this before. So I grew up in an evangelical, um, non-denominational tradition and pretty, okay. pretty strictly conservative Christian. Mm. Um, when I was forced to go to church, I did mm. not want to go. Um, <laughs> I remember just dreading it. I didn't want to go at all. But um, yeah. I think I, I was reading a Bible that was geared toward young folks um, I think I was around 11 or 12 and it was just the new Testament, but mm. it had a sort of a guide kind of for topics surrounding folks, my age, like okay. dating and sex. And even it even addressed homosexuality and, um, you know, life in the church as a young adult and all these things. And then when you finish that portion it asked you to ask Jesus <laughs> into your heart. <laughs> and, and I did that. And I was just like, yes, I'm doing this falls to the wall, like full force. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I think that's when I fully embraced whatever I knew or understood to be God or the Christian tradition, Jesus, whatever. And obviously I would find out growing up that I was very different from my peers. I was not straight and mm. I would struggle deeply with my sexuality and my faith because my faith right. was the largest obstacle in the way of me embracing who I was as a queer person. And mm. it was just torment and turmoil. It was awful. And I never, though, the strange thing is I never doubted God. I just doubted what the, what the text said. Mm. I, I was like, this, this doesn't sound right. There's something wrong with the way that we're approaching queer folks or LGBTQIA folks um, and the way that we're loving them or talking to them about this topic, whatever. And I always thought something was off when I was, you know, in high school and in my early 20s. So for me, I, um, I could not find that point of reconciliation for a very long time with okay. my sexuality and my faith. And what I decided to do, what, what the route I took was I went hardcore into the gay scene in Los Angeles. I mm. jettisoned my, I jettisoned anything faith related. Um, and okay. I just embraced being queer. And I was, mm. I was 
closeted doing this. I didn't tell anybody about it in my immediate family or my other, you know, my straight friend circles. Mm -hmm. I just literally showed up at a gay bar one time and was like, here I am and met people and, you know, kept doing that. Like I would go several times during the week. Well, it turns out I developed a very unhealthy relationship with alcohol and Mm. um, was using alcohol as a way to numb the pain, the, yeah. the spiritual trauma that I had been going through. Hmm. And so I would do alcohol and drugs and um, I just tried to drown out any kind of feelings of pain or turmoil or conflict or challenge about who I was. And I, I thought I must do this because I can't, I can't be who I am and I don't know what to do about that. Well, that, that solution didn't work for very long. Um, some people don't come out of those situations alive. I'm lucky I did to tell you the truth. That's a whole other story, but I came out of it alive and I came out of, um, the drinking part and the drug part alive. And, um, so there's gotta be a better way. You know, there's got to be something else here that's happening. So what I did was I resigned from my career. I went back to school. I had to start from scratch. I was in my 30s. I came out when I was 32. Mm. And I went back into academia, like straight up, like psychology 101 classes, poli sci, Mm. like all the classes you take in the beginning, Mm. because I didn't go to school when I graduated high school. Okay. Um, So I started from scratch. and kismet and like fate happened like I at this community college I was going to there was a a New Testament studies professor and and um, doctor or PhD in New Testament studies teaching philosophy of old and new testament at this community college it was so random wow yeah and I was like I got to take those classes because (laughs) I I'm obsessed with I was obsessed with the bible in the sense that I'm a puzzle kind of person and I want to know things and I want to figure them out Mm. and even if I can't have all the like tangible answers I want to know how the puzzle kind of works I want to know how someone really should it can approach the text um am I allowed to do that as a queer person um and you know and how can I do that and whatever it that was something that was so interesting to me and I still, there was a part of me that wanted to latch onto my faith still. Um, so this professor quickly became my academic mentor and I came out to him and he was like, oh, well, you must do this. This is your vocation. Like you are, mm-hmm. you are so talented and gifted in exegesis and hermeneutics and all these things like this must be your vacation or not vacation. It was not a vacation. <laughs> your vocation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the vocation. Um, Wait, you didn't think that like academic rigorous academic study was like, you know, blissful no. or just fun or well, anything like that. Okay. <laughs> I did it first. I did it first. I thought it was great. Um, mm-hmm. And then I got into grad school and I was like, Oh boy, this yep. is killing me. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so he was the first clergy person that I was able to come out to who affirmed me as queer and affirmed oh. me as like 
a queer person having legitim legitimized authority over the text. And that was shocking to me. Mm. Um, so <clears throat> because the Christian, the evangelical Christian church teaches women, especially and especially queer people do not have authority over the text. Right. That belongs to discursive authority over the text belongs to straight white men. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And those who are the folks that we have looked or that I have previously looked to, to <clears throat> legitimize in some way, Christianity, faith, or the text. So this was the first time I'd ever heard like, oh, I can do this. I can actually go down this journey of learning and um, deconstructing and analyzing the text. Cause that was what I was interested right. in. I was never interested in being a pastor. I was okay. never interested in any of the clerical pieces. I wanted to, I wanted to be a professor. I wanted to oh, like, okay. take, um, I wanted to deconstruct things and build them back yeah. up again or just move the parts around. And you wanted to be a true academic, like I wanted to research be an and research and break things down uh, really quick. So I just want to make sure I got this clear. So when you were going back to college, you said there was a period of time out, you know, that, you know, you left kind of conservative evangelical faith and then you just weren't involved in any kind of faith context. Was there ever a moment in your life around that time when you first entered LA and then later went back to went back to college where you were not a Christian or would you say that you were always somewhat, there was always some belief in a faith or a spirituality in, in a God or an afterlife or just something, or did you have moments of like agnosticism or, and or atheism where you were like, no, I, I just don't believe this anymore. I'm just interested to kind of hear that whole transition. Cause that's a huge transition to move from, conservative evangelical environment, but then you have, you know, your feelings, these, uh, you know, sexual and, and identity, uh, gender mm -hmm. identity feelings that aren't lining up with your perceived beliefs in Christianity, which obviously is going to cause, like you said, lots of spiritual trauma, lots of pain, suffering, things like that. And then you're yeah. moving outside of that, but then you're still trying to find your way. So I'm just curious kind of where you were in, in that, just to make sure I have it clear. So I think, I think I did believe, I, I think I believe in something. I believe that there okay. was something bigger. I believe okay. in God. I just didn't believe, I was finding it difficult to believe that this God would treat or disavow my identity as a queer the person. The conservative or, evangelical Christian God you no yeah. longer believed in. And we're like, I'm totally done with that God, but there still is a a God, I might not be able to define it at this moment, but there's still something there. And I want to know. I think, like, I think that that time in my life was when I started to pull myself away from the conservative evangelical God. Okay. That's when I started to turn my back, even if I okay. did it in an unhealthy way, because, right. you know, we do it, um, or I'll only speak for myself. Like we do mm -hmm. it right. kind of under duress because mm -hmm. you feel, you know, you are beholden to this almighty, all, you know, omnipotent, omniscient, powerful, punitive damages God, you know, that mm. that's going to sin manage your life and like, whatever. I think right. that's when I really started to tear at the fabrics of like that belief okay. and, and thinking, 
this is bullshit. Mm. Sorry if you if I can't. No, you're totally fine. Okay. Totally fine. But that was the first time I I started to really question and doubt that that was okay or true mm. or whatever because I took a risk. I said I was basically saying to God, even whether or not I was drinking or abusing alcohol, I yeah. said to God, I'm not doing this. I'm going to hang out with my people and I'm going to see what that is like. I'm going to mm. turn my back on you. And I did. I turned my back on that God. And um, so I came out with some bruises and like whatever in, in a lot of senses because I, because of my Christian, evangelical Christian upbringing, I didn't have the tools and the resources to to be a healthy queer person um, mm, with a right. faith, you know, I, I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know how to date people I, mm. or women. I didn't know how to be in a relationship with a woman or I, I didn't know any of those things. I was just experimenting. I was just trying to yeah, see I, what that was like, you know? Yeah. Um, so anyway, yes, I went back to school, got my bachelor's degree in biblical studies um and then an mdiv from san francisco theological seminary but that is when i started to like when i went back to school i was like this must be different for queer folk um for queer folk who want to explore the journey of what faith looks like in god and in christianity or in in with this topic of like the hebrew bible and the new testament mm. those yeah. texts you know um, so that's what I did. And then I, uh, when I was in college, got immediately involved in activism for LGBTQ students who were attending private religious colleges and who are discriminated against on a daily basis at those schools. It's just wow. awful. It's basically yeah. like the conservative evangelical church, but they're, they just so happen to be accredited academic bodies Okay. for whatever reason. Yeah. You know? that they are so that's how I got involved in activism um and that's what I've been doing for the last six seven years um wow. and then also navigating the topics of of spirituality of the text specifically exegesis hermeneutics and how to basically be able to approach the text in a way whether or not you believe in it and I'm not I'm the kind of person that's the point isn't necessarily to believe in anything mm. um that's kind of how i approach the text um and i wish i was taught that <laughs> from the very beginning <laughs> but what you know, is the point if it's not belief what is the point of the text would you say i think it's to find meaning and value okay okay i think i think that there is just as i mean and there's awful things in the biblical text of course but as okay. a piece of yep. literature as a as a way of yeah finding meaning um finding what it even meant to the early communities and civilizations involved in the text meaning the mm -hmm. israelites mm -hmm. um and early christians and things like that but sort of being able to pull apart who are these people what did they do why did they do what they do or why did they do what they did um 
are they making mistakes? Are these are the things I'm looking for? Are they making mistakes? Okay. Are they who are I mean, who are they? What are they doing? How are they talking to God? How do they approach God? How do they approach the the question of spirituality? All these things I'm looking for. And I realized, oh my God, we have been giving people no credit whatsoever for just the value of being a human being. Mm-hmm. Right. And we have taken that ability, evangelical Christianity has taken away the ability for someone to just be human. Yes, absolutely. 100%. Would agree. Yeah. And that in and of itself is so damaging to someone's personhood, whether or not you're queer or straight or whatever. Mm. This affects yeah. us all. You know, and that's yeah. kind of what I started to realize in school. And I think that's why I still love um, the Bible so much, or I love the text so much. And I do, I do identify as Christian because I think it allows us to do more than we were taught. I think it gives us more freedom than we were taught. And I think God gives us more freedom than we were taught. So mm. even though I consider myself to be in extremely low church, I don't go to church anymore. I don't, okay. I don't want to. Um, right now in this season of my life, I am choosing not to go to church. Okay. Um, and I think we're allowed the freedom to do those kinds of things to wow. take a break. Okay. Um, okay. There are other Christians who would vehemently disagree with me. Um, but I, again, I consider myself to be very low on the tradition bar and very high on the freedom bar, very high. Mm. And as, as far as exploring, taking breaks, the human aspect of who we are just by nature and what our needs are um and in community so that's sort of where i'm at right now kind of weird yeah but here we are. no it's it's it, i wouldn't say it's weird it's interesting for sure um where where do you see yourself in your belief specifically with christianity in and of itself um would you say that okay how can i phrase this would you say that Christianity is like the only practice that a Christian should have, or do you believe in like the blending of various faiths or spiritual practices together? Like, where do you see yourself? Cause I think that's the one thing that still, I think confuses me about progressive Christianity or any form of Christianity that is more open and affirming and inclusive of LGBTQ people and other uh, marginalized and oppressed uh, communities um, hmm. is there's still to me this like exclusionary insular um, kind of identity that gets formed in a community, especially yeah. like in the church community, which kind of turned me off because a lot, I saw a lot of the, even in like progressive Christian communities, I was still seeing a lot of the mechanisms of like evangelicalism in the communities but we allow Absolutely. like LGBTQ people and like, there were like, so there were like subtle, like not, su not even subtle differences, like major significant differences. Like, okay, yeah, we're not, we're not going to condemn LGBTQ people, which is great. Like totally for completely affirming and being and welcoming, uh, you know, people because of their gender and sexual identity. At the same time, it was like, 
if you had doubts or you had questions or you wanted to explore your spirituality outside of the confines of like the text, you would still get like railroaded for that, right? In some progressive Christian communities. And that was the problem with me even exploring progressive Christianity throughout my deconstruction, which was like, getting out of conservative evangelicalism was like basically for my mental health. Like I was, I was not well in that space. So progressive Christianity did a positive thing I will say about it is it gave me a landing space. It gave me like a, a, a spot where I could like feel like I could still be a part of this thing, this community or this tradition or this movement, but without so much of the toxicity. And yet I think I still wrestled with okay, my beliefs are still evolving and changing and I just can't hold on to this thing anymore. And as beautiful as a community can be and as important as community is because we are as humans, social animals and social creatures that need, that are wired to be with other people um, for you know innate mechanisms like survival and more self-actualized mechanisms like being able to, seek employment and have family and find fulfillment and meaning in those uh, various things. So for you specifically, how would you address, like, for, well, first of all, let me ask you, Aaron, what are your specific beliefs, your personal beliefs about exclusivity versus inclusivity when it comes to the Christian tradition? And then I'll, I'll ask you something else later. I don't want to put too much on you. So how would you no. feel about what are your particular beliefs about that? I, I don't believe in exclusivity at all. Okay. Um, I, so one of, one of the most important moments I think I had, like in one of my classes with that professor I was telling you about earlier. Yes. He brought a Jewish rabbi into our class and we were, it was philosophy of the Hebrew Bible. Mm-hmm. And this rabbi, this, this teacher and, and incredible scholar said, don't ever tell a Jew what the Hebrew Bible says. Oh, love it. Oh man. That's so good. That's yeah. That's when I knew I'm like, I better keep my mouth shut and Mm. I better start listening to Jewish folk. And I better Mm -hmm. start like, no, like I learned about, you know, in school, as I would go along learning about Midrash, learning about, Mm. you know, ancient Jewish thought and even, and, and to expand on that, it was like, not just Jewish thought, black women's thoughts you know, Mm. black men's thoughts on the Hebrew Bible, um, Muslim thought on the Hebrew Bible, all those things. I am not an exclusionary person. I think that that's a dangerous thing to do. I think we need to invite um, folks in community, in communion with one another and listen to one another. And I'm not saying that'll solve all the problems. Um, I think humans will always have conflict and challenges and things like that Mm. but i i don't think that christianity is exclusive to christians okay (laughs) at all and i don't think you have to have a specific set of beliefs or values in christianity whatever xyz theological statement may be in order to be labeled a Christian or in order to be acceptable before God. Okay. No, that's a uh, really good to know and to hear because um, I feel like, so what is your perception then of like 
um, faith community spaces or church spaces spaces then like where where is and then we'll focus on progressive Christianity because obviously it would be hours of like we could talk about all the nonsense of like conservative or fundamentalist evangelical faith like let's just not go into that it's just <laughs> that'd be a whole different conversation of all the problems with that but let's focus on the progressive christian space um first of all how do you feel about the term progressive christian first of all i never asked you like how does that resonate yeah. with you is it problematic is it is it accurate what how do you feel about it personally i think words <laughs> words matter it's yeah. very problematic okay um, and it's 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 vague. I mean, mm. it, and it doesn't like just because a church says they're LGBTQ affirming and they could have a Black Lives Matter flag and a, and a you know, rainbow flag or trans flag or whatever mm -hmm. on their, on hanging from their church rafters. Right. I don't know. That doesn't tell me anything, honestly, about the heart of those people who are actually going there and like what kinds of discussions they're having, what kinds of organizations they're working with or people they're talking to. So progressive to me just means like you, you want to not be conservative anymore because conservatism or conservative Christianity has somehow been damaging. You recognize that it's damaging. It's not okay. Yeah. That's fine. I get it. But I mean, I personally don't, like I, I said earlier, I don't go to church mm. um, right now in this season because I think I recognize that there's, there's a chasm between, yeah. between like the actions of what progressive churches do and what they say they're going to do. Mm. Um, because human history repeats itself. We build the same prisons I think that we were in sometimes in in the evangelical church you know right. sometimes we do that to ourselves and instead of it becoming about you know like you might be more inclusive or whatever you might be more gung-ho about civil rights or whatever it may be but you're still exclusive in the sense that like you're closing yourself off I think to um well I think they care <laughs> I think there's a there's this particular care over how they look as a person like I'm and I feel like for me anyway as a as a like growing up in evangelicalism that was right. so important to be right all the time right because apologetics was key it was everything it was everything yeah right not loving people you know it was like i gotta be right and i think that some of those things trickle over into progressive christianity that yeah. need to be right about the topic about the mm -hmm. passion about black lives matter about queer rights and things like that yeah rather than taking the right action for those communities mm. and you know I'm just not, I took a polity class I had to, I'm a member of the PCUSA, um, but I, I was just like, this is the most boring, worst thing ever. I've been. <laughs> I, I was just like, get me out of here. So, <laughs> but I have, I have amazing friends who are so good 
at, and wonderful, you know, at things like that. I just, I just never was interested in it. And I don't know, mm. I just, I kind of feel like I've always been a black sheep in some sense, always going against the grain. I don't know mm. what that's all about, but I feel the same way about church. And I feel that way to this day. And maybe, maybe someday I'll want to return. I don't know. But right now I just don't feel like going. And that's gotcha. my, that's my yeah. word on it, you know? Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I um, wanted to ask you about this one criticism that I'm seeing, especially in the atheist community, specifically the queer atheist community. Um, queer, some queer atheists have accused uh, progressive Christians or queer Christians specifically with aligning with fundamentalist or conservative evangelical Christians in the sense that uh, some queer atheists feel like their voices are excluded because they don't believe that it seems like it, the focus has still been so much more important on, you know, uh, I'm a part of this camp, I'm a part of this camp. And because we're a part of this camp and you're not a part of this camp, we're going to, you know, exclude you. I, I've seen some queer Christians talk about a lot of the pain of just feeling excluded or not feeling welcome or not feeling like they could be at the part of the table when it talks, when they talk about, you know, LGBTQ rights and progressing LGBTQ agendas forward because queer Christians, uh, you know, are more focused on, uh, you know, pushing the Christian tradition and narratives and the teachings and those explanations more than pushing the agenda forward. Um, what is your response to that? I don't know if you've seen it on Twitter. I mean, I've seen it on Twitter. I'm not, and I'm not even a queer person, but I don't know if you've seen criticisms from queer atheists about how queer Christians operate in society and when it comes to LGBTQ rights. Um, what would your response be to that as a queer Christian? Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't really seen so much queer atheists, um, you know, talking about those specific things, but if they are, I don't blame them. If mm. they are, I, I understand why. And, and I, cause I've seen it happen to among queer believers in general, um, queer mm. Christians in general, that there will be um, different camps of like side B Christians side B, right. side A, side right. X, you know, and then now there's, there's some organizations, Christian organizations that, that do take a much more uh, traditional stance when it comes to something like marriage, you know, mm. or sexual ethics. And then they'll pit, you know, more progressive queer Christians or more, I guess, you know, poly queer Christians, because they're out there. Um, yes, right. They will say, you know, they will disavow their sexual ethic and, and say, well, here in the Bible, you know, you're supposed to be mm. in a marriage with one person. So there's all kinds of problematic things happening among queer Christians themselves. And I think it's okay. That's a good problematic point. in general to exclude any atheists from any conversation or any dialogue, whether they're queer or straight. Um, I think that we should be in constant conversation with atheists and agnostics about things um, and about specific issues as, as it relates to civil rights and movement forward in, you know, advancement for BIPOC communities and queer communities mm. just in general, you know, and healthcare and things like that. There's all kinds of things. Um, but yeah, to exclude atheists in general from any conversation. I think is is very problematic 
And it just, it always points to, for me, that you are not interested in having that conversation with someone. And I always wonder why, hmm. like, why not? Um, why do we have to exclude queer atheists from the conversation or the dialogue? They have a lot to say, they've been hurt. There's a lot of trauma and we yeah, need everybody's right. opinions when it comes to the advancement of queer civil rights in this, especially in the United States. Um, and uh, so many other places in the world, but um, in the world. Yeah. yeah. Everywhere. And, yeah. And, and I don't want to just make it like Christians and atheists are the only people that exist. I mean, there's, uh, there's queers uh, uh, that, you know, queer people and um, in all religions and no religions and in all backgrounds. Yeah. And like you said, uh, there are queer communities all over the world. And we know that there's, um, you know, especially uh, LGBTQ people in, in certain countries are, are just, uh, you could still, you know, literally die, like lose your life just for yes. having that identity. So we understand that there have been advancements and, you know, Aaron and I are speaking from an American context where we're both, uh, you know, live in the United States. And so anyone that's listening outside of that, you know, that's the perspective we're talking from, but at the same time, um, you know, there's still so much progression that needs to happen and, and so much more inclusion that needs to happen in all facets of our society. I want to talk to you as we close about your work. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to really unpack a lot of those um, nuances with me about uh, you know, Christianity and, and queer identity. Um, and you've done such a beautiful job with that. But tell me more about REAP, the Religious Exemption Accountability Project um, sure. that yeah. you are a part of. What is REAP and why does REAP exist? REAP, oh my gosh. Okay, so REAP stands for the Religious Exemption Accountability Project. Um, basically, what REAP does is empower queer, trans, and non-binary students at more than 200 taxpayer-funded religious schools who are actively discriminating um, on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity, of course. Um, and we, REAP does that through civil rights litigation, okay. uh, documentary film, oral history, research and public policy. And we basically work toward making sure that all queer and trans people are treated with respect and dignity and have a safe learning environment at whatever academic institution they choose. And it, we, it just so happens that the fight right now um, is largely on private religious um, institutional campuses for queer folk. Um, and that's what I do. I'm a community organizer and campus organizer, and I help these students navigate the world of the private Christian um, institution, which is a really hard place for LGBTQIA folks. Yeah, um, I can imagine. There's microaggressions, avert aggressions. It's just terrible uh, for, for a lot of these folks. And I do a lot of public education around why LGBTQ students are even at these schools. Because mm. most people have that question of like, why on earth are they in that space in the first place? Mm. Um, yeah. So I do a lot of education and surrounding that specific topic and answering that question of why. You know, why do we end up here? Why, why did we go here? Um, and then I help, I help these students basically, you know, do whatever they need to do to protect their rights, whether that's filing Title IX complaints, accreditation complaints, creating petitions or direct action organization, anything like that. REAP is the only organization doing what it does right now. So it's really important work. 
Well, I appreciate you and the work and, that you and others at REAP do. Uh, really quickly, what has historically protected private Christian institutions specifically from not, you know, not having any kind of negative consequences levied against them for their discrimination against uh, queer, non-binary, trans individuals? Um, coming up under the banner of religious freedom. Okay. They want to protect their religious freedoms. And they basically petition the government um, for protections of that alleged freedom to discriminate. Um, so basically the, it's the Department of Education and the Office of Civil Rights that are the ones who are responsible for handing out Title IX. There's Title IX protections for these students and there's, there's other various things that protect them. But Title IX is one of the largest uh, statutes. Okay. And it's been around since the 70s. Um, it used to be protect solely on the basis of sex, but now it includes gender identity and sexual orientation, which is very important. Yes. What, what these schools are able to do under the banner, under the argument of religious freedom is claim an exemption from the government to being able to follow Title IX um, anti-discrimination policies. Wait, so, so let me get this straight. So they don't have to have Title IX at their school? They're they, exempt from it? They do have to have the clause up there. Oh, you have they, to? Okay, okay. But go ahead. what they do, so let's say, you know, XYZ student is going to Biola University. Okay. And they were discriminated, this LGBTQ person was discriminated against at, discriminated against at Biola. Okay. Well, this person at Biola can file a Title IX complaint, but what they probably don't know, and a lot of schools don't publicize, is that Biola already has a Title IX exemption given to them by the government, by the Department mm. of Education. So that student is no longer protected under Title IX. So it's and like they have Title IX, but there's the exemption. They have the exemption yep. that basically removes all responsibility of enforcing Title IX. And so yes. therefore they can discriminate against these people without retribution or from the federal government. Especially queer folk, because okay. normally a Title IX complaint, like if it were a straight person would probably be like, yes, we're gonna take this seriously. Okay. For a queer person, it's a threat to the university. So mm. um, yeah, it's pretty wild stuff. And yeah, these yeah. schools get taxpayer fund, they're taxpayer funded. They get gonna federal ask you government, that. Yep. yes. Um, and okay. they're tax exempt. Okay, yeah, which is, you know, obviously one of my major issues with, I think, um, Christianity in general, especially a lot of churches is, is because churches, uh, you know, are tax exempt and uh, they contribute nothing to, you know, the tax um, to the, you know, to taxes uh, federally, state yes. and local, and yet uh, they're still allowed to receive. So like one of the biggest issues are private Christian universities that are maybe fully accredited by various accrediting bodies. Um, and, to, and if you're accredited by accrediting body, you qualify to receive uh, federal funds like for financial aid yeah. and stuff like that. Um, so it's like they reap the benefits without having to do any of the responsibility to ensure the protection of all of their students. Or they can on purpose, it sounds like purposefully continue to discriminate against certain students because of their religious beliefs and yet still um, not pay any taxes like other 
like public or private non-religious universities do and they still get federal aid so or financial aid through the federal government so it's just like it sounds like it's just this like this batshit (laughs) mind fuck of we get all the benefits but we can still perpetuate all the harm and have no accountability um to anybody really and that the federal government won't do anything about it even though they're supposed to do something about it because of title nine so it's like it just it blows my mind and this is one of the reasons i really wanted you to come on to this podcast is to talk about this because it's just like it it makes no sense to me how the federal government is allowing this to happen in the first place they are not only allowing it they are the ones perpetuating it in some sense because they're the ones handing out the religious exemptions to these Mm. schools Okay. So they're in some way like they're responsible, you know, for yes, right. For they're culpable, allowing yeah. it to happen. Um, but you made just a great case for me of, as to why people should be concerned about this in general. Your taxpayer dollars go to schools like Viola. They go to school like yep. or go to schools like Liberty University in Virginia. Right. They yep. go towards discriminating against LGBTQ students every single day. It's so, horrible. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, tell me about how, yeah, no, but tell me about, you made a good point earlier when we first started talking about REAP. How do people that identify as queer, non-binary, trans, gay, lesbian, bisexual, um, how do they end up finding themselves at these institutions? Yeah. Um, so- most likely, like, so like, for example, um, how would somebody find themselves at a Biola or at a Liberty or at a Whedon or one of these other schools that will deliberately discriminate against them, deny them their existence as a, as a, you know, gender and sexuality wise. It's like, how do they find themselves there? Why would they stay there knowing that it's probably a, a really toxic environment for them? And it's just not a safe environment to be honest. Um, tell me yeah. a little bit more about that. What are the stories that you've heard or you, you know, you yeah. see? So there's basically three main answers to that. Okay. The biggest one I think is that most queer and trans students don't even discover or realize that they're queer or trans until they're in college, until they're okay. in that space. And what mm-hmm. has happened is, is that sometimes that's the only college their parents will pay for. Sometimes mm-hmm. that's the only that's the only space the parents will fund. And they'll say, you're going to this school, you know, because I'm paying for it. I'm paying your housing. I'm paying your meals. I'm paying your mm. whatever. And you're going to go here. Um, a lot of these students have grown up in the Christian tradition. And so like, if you're between the ages of 17 and 24, you don't have a lot of financial independence to be able to say, oh yeah, I'm going to go here right. instead of here. You know, especially if your parents are flipping the bill. Um but once they discover that they're queer or trans and then they realize everyone around them, including their school is non-affirming, then they're kind of stuck, you know, like they have no safe spaces or no safe community to go to. And so the third thing would be, well, why don't they just transfer? And that kind of ties into like the age range again, like that's a, that's a huge thing to ask of someone. That's a okay. huge financial yeah. and logistical um uprooting that someone would have to do transferring is really hard and sometimes other schools won't take like your full amount of credit so that'll Mm. expand your graduation time things like that so 
it's not that we want to keep people in these situations at all. What we want to do is change, dismantle the system itself um, and believe that all students should be treated equally, have safe, safe learning environments everywhere. Um, but yes, I mean, in some situations it's like desperate and you should, you know, if you can get out. Um, but that's just not always feasible, you know, especially. Well, if thank you for explaining are. that. Yeah. No, thank you for explaining yeah, that. Sure. I think you'll, you would hear a lot of pushback of like, oh, why would they be there? Why can't they just leave? Yeah. And you've given a lot of really good reasons is like, we forget like college students are still really young. And like you said, yes. they are just beginning to have independence and they don't really have that. Um, and they don't really have like, like that true independence. There's still a lot of, there's a shift from dependence to independence in, in those years. And so you've totally. made a lot of great points there. Um, one other thing is what is the goal then? Like what would, if you had a magic wand and you could just, what would, what would reap do if it just had all the power, all the control and could make things happen? Like, what is the goal? Like, what would you like to see happen? Like a complete removal of the religious exemption. Um, it, what, think- what's the end goal? That would be a huge step, the religious religious exemption piece. But I think just we want the fact of the matter is, is there are students who are Christian and queer, and if they want to get a certain degree or even a or whatever, they should be able to go to whatever school they want to learn in safety, um, be treated with dignity, respect, and love, no matter where they're at, and and have the same access to education as everyone else. Um, mm. So, but we know that that's not going to happen in a lot of these spaces that exist. So, I mean, I can't really speak for REAP in terms of like, you know, what its ultimate end goal would be other than to keep these students safe and protected at all costs. I know that that's our goal. Um, And we're working and fighting against the systems that be, um, that impede upon that reality for these students. So whatever that looks like that's what we do. That's absolutely wonderful. I wish you and everybody at REAP nothing but the best in continuing to advocate and push this forward because um, there's absolutely no excuse in this day and age for anybody to be, to feel unsafe or unwelcomed um, and potentially harmed because of the learning environment that they're in. And so I really appreciate all the work that you and the others at REAP do. Um, We're going to have to end our time. Unfortunately, I would love to talk to you again sometime, Aaron, to unpack more of these things. But uh, Aaron Green has been on some random thoughts with me. And Aaron, thank you so much for being here. And I wish you well. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you so much. You all take care. Thank you so much for listening to some random thoughts. You can find the podcast in audio form wherever you get your podcast and at anchor.fm slash some random thoughts. You can find the podcast in video form on my YouTube at youtube.com slash Ryan Molkowski. Connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at Ryan Molkowski and on my website at www. Dot ryanmolkowski.com that's r y a n m u l k o w s k y programming now this is a completely self-produced project and the guests on this program have volunteered their time so until next time you have one life 
make the most of it.